Blog Talk Radio. In a country barreling towards a crucial election while facing a pandemic, a liar in chief, fake news, and murder hornets, this is the last 100 days. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to the last 100 days. It is Thursday, August 6, 2020. We are officially 90 days left until election 2020 on November 3rd. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and across the state or the country, that is, is my co-host, Brandon uh, Carmody. We are taking care of Ohio and Oregon for you here. If you want to give us a call today, be sure to join us. The phone lines are open, and we're taking your calls on any topic, 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. Give us a call. Tell us what's on your mind, and uh, we'll give you our opinion. Right, Brandon? How you doing, buddy? Toodaloo, everyone. Greetings from the uh, beautiful green state of Oregon and uh, Portland, which has recently been thrown into national prominence. But one thing I want to note about that, just as my opening line for today, Scott, is that uh, uh, I think the national spotlight is sort of tapering off from Portland and not paying as much attention to what continues to go on here, just to let you know. Yeah, it uh, it makes you wonder. Makes you wonder if everything is hunky dory, or why is that, why is all of a sudden it not national news anymore? So it's like, uh, is, is it better? No, no. The level of violence has now taken to the streets. Um, the protest movement has chosen new targets, which are different police stations so they've actually moved away from the justice center and they're now taking to setting fire and attacking police stations which is crazy by the way the governor has deployed state troopers so the feds have sort of been in the background and sort of their withdrawal process but state troopers are taking in and um, let me put it this way the antifa movement has uh, actually been confirmed to be on site at some of these Portland protests, and they're interfering with photographers and directly trying to not get filmed. So the action continues, but it's taking a new form, and we've also heard that several members of the community with AR-15s came out and displayed their guns. So, oh my God, the potential for disaster here continues to grow on night 68 in Portland. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know why that's not making national news. That's a little surprising to me. I have not heard a blip on it on my radar, and I usually have my uh, ear to the ground pretty much. That's that's unusual to me. Very very strange. I of course am not personally comfortable going and being there. Um, at first, it was the tear gas, um, but uh, the, the the tensions are there, and I have I'm working and I'm doing other things, so I'm reporting from the sidelines. I just want to make clear I'm not personally there, but there's some incredible reporters sure. that are risking their safety to be there, and good for them. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to have to start uh, getting my little Oregonian online and seeing what's going on there because I have not heard any of this, so I'm just a little surprised that stuff like this is happening that I know nothing about. Very crazy. 
All right. Well, let's jump in. What's on your hot topics for the day? What do you want to jump into? Well, um, you are covering the state of Ohio. You're in Ohio, Scott. So why don't we talk about Ohio for a moment? I understand that our president, Donald John Trump, is currently in the state of Ohio today. Um, I currently have in front of me a piece from The Hill titled Trump Touts Economic Agenda in Battleground State of Ohio. He is there for his official campaign business targeting that battleground state because he's in a tight race with our quote-unquote presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden. And if I understood correctly, right before meeting him at the airport, your governor, Mike DeWine, tested positive for the coronavirus. What can you tell us about that? Or what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, all of the above is true on that. Trump flew into Cleveland area today. He was going to go to a Whirlpool manufacturing facility there and do a little campaign type rally. And so Mike DeWine, our governor, and John Husted, our lieutenant governor, were going to greet him at the airport. And as is protocol to greet the president, you need to now get your uh, COVID test done, a rapid test. So they both did a rapid test, and DeWine has tested positive for coronavirus, whereas our lieutenant governor, John Houston, did not. So uh, the lieutenant governor was able to go greet the president. Um, Governor DeWine went back to Columbus, to our capital here, and is getting the longer test, the one that's more accurate, to see if it was a false positive. So we don't know 100% yet. Um, We just know that he's tested positive on one uh, quick test. So it's positive. It might be that he doesn't. Uh, Governor DeWine is 70 years old. He has been, I think, one of the overall leaders in the country in tackling COVID here. Um, Everyone knows that I'm a true blue Democrat and he's a Republican. So I would not put praise upon someone that hasn't done a pretty decent job. And he closed down really well. He listened to Amy Acton, our uh, medical advice person here in Ohio, and shut everything down really good. He opened up quicker than some states, but I don't think horribly quicker than anybody else. And now he possibly has the virus. His wife has been thin by his side at all the press conferences. He he was doing daily press conferences at 2 o'clock every day or 5 o'clock every day. And now we'll wait and see what happens because he is definitely in a high-risk group. He is asymptomatic as of now if he has it, Um, but he is 70 years old and has underlying conditions. So we'll see what happens there. It can be very interesting. What do we think about the fact that the president continues to hold in-person fundraisers, of which, you know, at first was months and months and months of no masks and the political divisiveness over masks, which has spilled over into our community. Then two weeks ago, it was, of course, wear a mask. Here's a picture of me with a mask. Now you see all these images from these continued fundraisers of his people not socially distancing and no masks in the middle of this pandemic. Um, If I'm reading here correctly, he's going to a closed-door fundraiser, and then afterwards he will head off to his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. So Biden is doing these virtual town halls and not traveling as much. So who's who's playing the smarter game here? Is it the president desperate to do the in-person meeting, or why, why won't he do a town hall? Is it just not in his DNA at this point? 
No, it's, I, I don't think it is. I think you're exactly right. I think he likes he likes the adoration of the crowd. I mean, you and I talk to a lot of entertainment people on our other radio shows, and it's a different thing. I mean, you can have these great Zoom concerts or great stage readings, but without hearing the feedback from the audience, that's very hard for an entertainer. And Trump is the exact same way. As I've always said, he is an entertainer, a television reality star, and not a president. So he needs the adoration of the live crowds. He doesn't get anything from it. That's why when you see him do teleprompter speeches from different places, he looks a little listless, a little down, because he doesn't have that crowd to really play off of. That's where he really shines. So I don't think he's going to stop. I think he needs he needs the attention. I don't think he needs it for anything else, as we've talked about over the last two weeks here. I think numbers are pretty baked into his supporters. He may get a couple near the end here, but uh, I don't think he's going to change a lot of hearts and minds, but he's going to make himself feel good, which is what Donald Trump is all about, making Donald Trump feel good. So, And I think he Biden's doing it right. can't have my vote. Yeah, Trump cannot I have my vote. I just, I just want to. I can't make that clearer. The, he he couldn't buy it. He couldn't steal my vote. He'd have to physically right. steal my ballot. All right, quid pro quo. What do you got, Mr. Scott? Well, I mean, playing off that a little bit. There's a couple interesting things between Biden and Trump while we're talking about both of them. One, um, as we talked about yesterday and earlier in the week, uh, Trump wants to move had add a fourth debate or move the first debate that's currently scheduled for September 29th to the first week of September. So he would like to add a fourth debate because he thinks he can get Biden to do a gaffe or uh, try to diminish him in a debate debate appearance. So he's trying to get a fourth debate the first week of September. At the very least, he wants to move the 29th, September 29th to the first week of September. Well, these things are all done months ahead of time. They're agreed upon by both candidates' teams, and there is actually a commission on debates. So he did this formal application yesterday to have the, this fourth debate added or the date changed, and they have denied that request unless Joe Biden consents, and they decide to put it up because these things cost money, right? These are put on by the, these debate commissions, and they pay for it out of however funds they work that. So the commission said, we will not even entertain the idea until, A, Joe Biden agrees to either changing the date or adding a fourth, and, B, then we will decide if we will do it as a commission, if we want to do it. So it doesn't look like he's going to get this fourth debate or debate change. I don't think Biden should do a fourth debate. I think he's being smart by doing a social distancing in his basement. Uh, we keep saying that, and that's kind of not fair because he's gone out to a lot of events. But um, I think that he is doing it correctly. He is social distancing. He is using virtual as needed. And I am glad that the commission did not just automatically say, okay, we'll do this debate. I don't think they could, honestly, without Biden agreeing to it, because like I said, these things are sought out a long time in advance. What are your thoughts on debates? First of all, um, do you remember that Saturday Night Live skit going back just after the election? Uh, it got a lot of 
replays on the Sunday shows. It, I think they did, uh, you know, a people's court type of thing with Alec Baldwin playing the president. But I think the, the judge, um, she basically said, I just want one day in my life without a CNN headline that scares the hell out of me. Um, four <laughs> debates is too much. Uh, so so I, I've talked with you every episode that we've done so far over the last 100 days. And here's a problem that I've continued to run into when I challenge myself to watch whole interviews with Donald Trump. Like, for example, the Jonathan Swan Axios interview, the Chris Wallace two weeks ago, I will actually sit down and be like, this is my pre-designated carved out time for my assignment for the last 100 days to watch all of Fox News Sunday. And after five minutes, I'm so spitting mad and I'm so vehemently repulsed by the president that I just can't do it. So, Scott, I don't think I can handle four debates with this treasonous criminal (laughs) president because he will dirty it up. Joe Biden will go through a legitimate debate prep. I honestly believe that. He'll have the best advisors. They will discuss the issues, possible jabs, and they'll prepare him. But Trump prepared for debates that way. Do you remember before? It was just – it was those zingers, and it was you know hitting Jeb Bush with low energy, and all of a sudden that became a hashtag, and next thing you knew – um, Bush's numbers plummeted. So Trump isn't going to go into the debate the same way Biden is. So four is ridiculous. Three is already going to be a shit show. Pardon my French, right? Right. No, I agree. I agree 100 percent. It's going to be very interesting. We've talked about it in the past, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, as I said, Trump is hoping for Biden to do gaff machine, as he is prone to do, as he did yesterday. Did you hear about Biden's latest gaffe that he has going on now? That poor Uncle Joe, I tell you, the guy is giving me kittens with this uh, every time he does something a little silly. But I don't know if you read about that or not, but he was doing um, an interview in a live virtual event with some uh, Latino, Latinx, and black journalists yesterday. And he basically said that uh, there's a diverse – let me see if I can find the exact wording because I don't want to uh, say it incorrectly here. He said, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly diverse attitudes about different things. He says, you go to Florida, you find a definite – different attitude about immigration than you do in Arizona. So it's a very diverse community. So what I think he was trying to say, (laughs) yes, I know. Well, it gets worse, unfortunately. I I think he was trying to say that there's a lot of different constituencies in the um, Latinx culture, right? There's Cuban, there's there's different there's different factions in that which is which is truer than an overall maybe uh, a black America right but instead of stopping there when the uh, moderators kind of let him try to clear that up a bit then he went on and put the second foot in the mouth by finishing it up with we can build a new administration that reflects the full diversity of our nation. The full diversity of Latino communities, Biden said. Now, when I mean full diversity, unlike African-American community, many other communities, you're from everywhere. You're from Europe. You're from the tip of South America, all the way to our border in Mexico. 
and in the Caribbean and different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but you're all Latinos. Okay. Mm. So they're not different um, black communities. I mean, in the country, I understand what he's saying maybe, but if you, but if you want to talk about um, the black community in general and you talk about Africa and South Africa and uh, the different countries in there, Guyana, so much, there's so much diversity in the black culture as well. Um, he just put his foot in his mouth, I think. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, okay, so I pulled up a piece here on the Daily Mail from the United Kingdom. It looks like Donald Trump lambasted Joe Biden Thursday for totally disparaging black people in a slip-up where the presumed Democratic nominee. God, I'm so tired of that. We just need to call him the Democratic nominee. Okay, uh, it says, Trump tweeted, wow, Joe Biden just lost the entire African-American community. What a dumb thing to say. Trump tweeted along with a link to a right-wing news website with coverage of the gaffe. So, okay, I'm going to have to give this one to the Trump team. This is not helpful. This is not helpful, and we're still in the quote-unquote veep stakes where we're waiting for a VP announcement, which, by the way, at this point, I think it's going to be the convention. I don't think we're going to see it before the convention. I think there's a lot of reasons to do it there. Um, He has pretty much – oh, boy. I don't want to weigh too much on this because I haven't fully dissected it, but that's concerning. That's one to pin that to the top of your Twitter page and keep an eye on that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think I, we'll see if it gets legs. It's not going to get a lot of legs in Democratic committee. We'll see. He really needs to get this nominee together and stop talking about race. Let them talk about race from here on out. If he picks a uh, a black woman of color to be his running mate, I hope he never mentions race again. I hope only his running mate does because he just <laughs> – he just puts his foot in his mouth every time. And I, like I said, I understand what he was trying to say, he, but it's not a true statement to begin with, um, at least completely true statement, but it, it just disregards the black community um, as being a monolithic community um, as in all the blacks. And there's not all the blacks, just like there's not all the Latinos. Right. So right. it's, um, it was a definitely misstep. I will say that for him for sure. Whether it goes on, I mean, I'm sure conservative um, conservative media is going to go crazy over it. I, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh's out and about today and on the car, and he brought it up. And, of course, after he brought it up, then it was on Fox News, on the Fox News break that I had in my car. And it's like, okay, yes, I listen to Fox News, so our listeners don't have to. That's the only reason it's on in my car all day long. It's the only time I listen to it. I don't waste my prime time with Fox News. But I do listen to conservative radio in my car, because I do try to get all points of view, and I do it so you don't have to sully yourself, listeners. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I will, I will raise the stakes on that, Scott. So remember how I said that I took on the assignment to listen to the opposition as part of my research for this show? So I signed right. up for – I won't name the service, but I signed up for a cable service with DVR and everything. So I listened to the Laura Ingram show. Oh, boy. <laughs> Talk about a backwash. Um, so I tried to listen to the Tucker Carlson, who, by the way, if you ever see all the still frames, he's got that one expression. I think every single live moving episode of the Tucker Carlson, it's just that expression all the way through. 
<laughs> but um, one one right? person that really is a power player in this and is still rumored to have almost a nightly call with the President of the United States is Sean Hannity. So there right. is a viable reason, a legitimate reason for us in the media to listen to Sean Hannity's program because that's the sorts of information and opinions that the President is watching. And the crazy thing is that it's not like Hannity – is voicing the opinions of the president. It's working the other way around. It's almost like the president is tuning into Fox News to see what Sean Hannity is going to say and then taking his cues from cable news, which is not the way politics is supposed to work. Am I right? Right. Exactly. And Hannity carries all the water for the president. He had a book come out this week. If you remember when – oh, who's the flagship Fox – Bill O'Reilly – Bill O'Reilly was always formerly, formerly, yes, (laughs) right, yeah. When 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 Bill was the big wig at Fox, and now he's with Axio, or he's with um, uh, what's the Newsmax? He's with the new the second Republican um, media (laughs) conglomerate. But when he was with Fox News, he would always time his books perfectly with elections and different things. And Hannity has done the same thing. He had a book come out this past Tuesday, two days ago. Um, and it basically just extols the Trump administration, how warm and wonderful they are. But he's been carrying his water the entire time. I think we, I think he kind of put it out there for all to see when Trump brought him up on stage at a campaign rally in New Hampshire. Um, like I said, it, politics are so divided now that it's not going to change any opinions. All of the conservative people love seeing Sean Hannity at a campaign event. All the Democrats thought, how can you have a quote-unquote person from Fox News, quote-unquote news, be on a campaign rally stage shilling for the president? Because he's not a newscaster. He is an opinion uh, person. On the, he, he does opinions. He doesn't report news. He reports opinions and makes opinions. So that's why he can get his little happy butt on a campaign rally stage with Trump like he did back in New Hampshire and do that. So, yeah, I think Hannity is a huge carrier of water for his presidency and probably does have those nightly calls before they tuck themselves into bed each night in their MyPillow and mattress topper or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I will never forget the Saturday Night Live episode. I think it was a year or two ago. Alec Baldwin just – Absolutely. I've liked Alec Baldwin for over 30 years, by the way, folks. But when Alec Baldwin is playing Donald Trump on SNL, he's just killing it. And you know that it's such a tongue-in-cheek, sinister, dark, sardonic portrayal that it just gets under the president's nerves. But one of the things that he said on there was uh, he was talking something about waking up. And then he was making out with Sean Hannity. I'm like, that's not too far from the truth. They're, they're just they're, they're they're hip and hip, man. This is crazy. <laughs> now, now, um, do you mind if we get onto social media for a moment here? So, look like Facebook uh, removed something from the Trump campaign yesterday, and then Twitter took suit as well. So, let me see if I can pull that up here. Facebook and Twitter penalized Trump for posts containing coronavirus misinformation. Now, this 
I am fully on board with. I have wanted to, first of all, see the president's account suspended for the longest time because of his threats against individuals, political enemies, as it were, and how they have actually come under direct fire, their lives threatened, and um, police and Secret Service assignments as a result of tweets from the president of the United States. So I think that they've needed to police his Twitter, but this is great. The social media companies have made it clear in recent months that they will not tolerate misinformation on the global pandemic. So apparently that's the hill we're going to die on. The pandemic is the bottom line. Like you don't dare spin the pandemic. You can threaten people, put their lives in danger. Anthony Fauci actually receiving death threats right now, by the way. But uh, don't spin the pandemic. What do you think about all of this, Scott? Well, I think it's I think it's long time coming, as you said. I would love to see him be censored on Twitter more. I think this is the actual first time Facebook has ever censored the president. Take it down. It was about his tweet or his his saying that children are almost immune from COVID-19 is, was the uh. actual thing he was talking about. Um, and so they put up his false information because children are not almost immune. Um, he tried to walk it back and say what he meant to say was, Children do not die from it as, as readily as adults, which is a true statement. But he said, but he said that they are immune, so it was false information. The interesting thing we found in this, though, is we found that they don't that these algorithms also can't tell the difference between misinformation and talking about misinformation, because I don't know if you saw that, but after these were taken down off Facebook and uh, Twitter. Twitter also blocked the DNC, the D- Democratic National Committee, from tweeting for uh, three or four hours because it had talked about Trump being banned on there. And so they banned them for talking about Trump being banned because they weren't able to oh, tell no. the difference of, yeah, they weren't able to tell the difference of what was actually someone saying something and someone reporting about what was being said. So that was kind of an interesting hiccup to it. I thought as well, they're still, they still don't know what they're doing yet. I mean, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they don't know what they're doing with their ads. They don't know what to do with who's buying what Um, they don't police these things well enough. And when they are policed, even that can turn out to not be right because then all of a sudden people talking about what they banned They'll ban that, too, even though it has nothing to say about what it is. They're talking about as an editorial of what happened. So I thought that was very interesting. But it kind of went full mm. circle there. But it happened in the DMT as well. How is your uh, state and local municipalities doing on coronavirus in Ohio? You're in Youngstown? In Youngstown area, we are going down as a state. Uh, overall, we went... Uh, we're slowly going down a bit. Like I said, with Mike DeWine, we'll see what happens. We have hot spots like every state does. And Cleveland was a hot spot for a while. Um, Pittsburgh, which is not too far. I'm exactly an hour between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, Ohio. And Pittsburgh is a hot spot. Cleveland was a hot spot. And Columbus was a possible hot spot. So they were kind of watch out, which is uh, where DeWine is. That's our state capital, as I said earlier. So it is not um, 
it, it was get it was getting bigger. Like I said, we closed down really well. We opened up slowly but faster than some, but we did not see a lot of rising cases until the last couple of weeks. And so we've tried to kind of pay attention. Um, DeWine made a mandatory mask all over the entire state late last week to okay. combat okay. it because it was starting to raise. So we're paying attention to it, but it's it is not gotten away from us as of yet. But it was raising a bit. Well, um, if we're playing the the game properly, I think all of our stories that we cover on this program need to be political in some way. So here's some real quick Oregon numbers, by the way. Oregon just passed 20,000 cases of known COVID-19 cases. Our death toll currently stands at 339. Uh, confirmed case of the United States right now is currently sitting at 4.86 million. On the topic of schools, things that caught my attention this week, um, all over social media is images of a school in Georgia with packed hallways and less than half of the kids, I think it's a high school, um, in the photo were literally not masked and, and coming on the heels of that president's comments about children um, not being able to transmit the virus or bring the virus home. I've seen the shows rip it apart, Scott, saying that they absolutely can transmit that to adults. And that doesn't just mean bringing it home to mommy and daddy and grandparents. That means the teachers. That means the janitorial staff. So these schools are just playing Russian roulette, man. This is a really, really risky gamble to put them all in the classroom like that. And some of them unmasked. Unmasked. <laughs> right. No, you're exactly right. And uh, it's it's kind of been – we're almost – we're actually higher than you in Oregon if you want to go by numbers. We were actually at 97,471 cases with 3,600 deaths. So we're actually, um, when we were hit, we were hit really hard earlier. Um, Ooh. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, we're going to hit, I believe, 160,000 dead by tomorrow, I believe. And they have now forecast by the election it, the death toll could be up to 230,000 nationwide. They keep progress, uh, prognosticating it up. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Well, um, it, do, do you mind if I share one quick thing that's personal, but it's relevant to this? Sure. Um, as, as, as you may know, um, our mother passed away in May, and then, you know, we did have – a small and beautiful funeral for her in June, but our plan was to actually hold an official memorial for our mom. And we've been holding out for this church in Beaverton, Oregon, which is their church. And, um, you know, that was the space they wanted to hold it in. So unfortunately we have an email from our dad today. His email title is no large group meetings, 2020, no memorial service this year. So it looks like that church in Beaverton says this year has been difficult for many of us. We have not failed to seek God do extraordinary things. And then they go on to say that they've, regrettably canceled all in-person gatherings through the rest of 2020 at that church. So I think that between their announcement and the little note my dad put at the top of this email is that we're not going to be able to hold a memorial for my mom uh, and invite extended family members thanks to coronavirus. So, you know, there's an impact here on a personal level. Um, and 
I get it. Safety first. Safety first. We've talked with several family members today that all concur that they wouldn't feel safe traveling or going to a large gathering under the circumstances. But this has happened to a lot of people. Think about the families of coronavirus victims and the impacts on their funerals and services. There is a real human element to all of this, man. Right. Oh, very much so. And uh, you, we have to pay that. And I'm so sorry for your family. You have to have to wait for that because I understand the frustration of where you want to have a certain place. You have it in mind. It's a kind of a tradition for the family, so to speak. So it, it's very rough. It's rough on everybody. But we have yeah. to weigh the public good. So I understand that. A couple other quick things related to COVID that I will jump on there real quick. Um, New York City today added some new traveler checkpoints uh, to register visitors and residents returning from nearly three dozen states that are required to quarantine for 14 days. So it's not um, a absolute mandatory thing. It's they're basically trying to preserve the city's progress in reducing COVID-19. So they have checkpoints at like Grand Central Station and a lot of their incoming places where um, if you come in with COVID, you have to register your name, or if you have to come in from one of these states, you have to register your name and phone number for uh, tracing if anything happens. And you're supposed to quarantine for 14 days. So that's a, a you said you talk about personal things. My best friend and his wife from Las Vegas, they were scheduled to go to Hawaii in October, but Hawaii still has a 14-day moratorium as well. And They actually um, arrested someone the other day who broke a curfew. When you go to Hawaii, you are not supposed to go out. You have to quarantine yourself for 14 days. Well, uh-huh. you're going to Hawaii for vacation destination. So unless you have a three-week vacation – um, you're going to spend two weeks of it quarantined in your hotel and maybe one week on vacation. But they, uh, uh, there was a young lady that was flew in for vacation, was caught out on the beach and was, uh, detained for going for breaking the quarantine. So that kind of stuff is still happening to people. So it's very, very interesting. I think there's definitely something to this just uh, springing off of that. There is late breaking news regarding Oregon. Um, Our governor, Kate Brown, has confirmed that state officials are considering a travel restriction to slow the spread of the coronavirus. So they're still gathering information, but they think that part of the community spread is linked to people coming in from other states. So wouldn't that be something if rather than states themselves being in lockdown like Oregon having stay-at-home orders, it's more like, no, 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 you can't come in from other states. Then right. Oh. You got people carrying AR-15s, trying to burn down the police stations, and all of that going on in the middle of the pandemic, record unemployment, and now we're talking about closing up borders within our country. I mean, to me, I think the sowing the seeds of discord of what could possibly go off the rails by Election Day, it's getting hotter, man. It's getting hotter every single freaking day, right? No, very much so. Yep, you're exactly right. Well, let's move on here to a couple ancillary things from this because COVID affects so many things, of course, throughout the country. The numbers went out today for unemployment, and we are on the 20th straight week of having over 1 million people apply for unemployment. And they, of course, lost last week the extra 
unemployment of $600 a week that they're still fighting over in Congress right now. But this is the first time ever that it's been this long. Um, the highest ever before COVID was 695,000 filings for unemployment. And that was way back in 1982. Now we've had 20 straight weeks in a row of over 1 million filing for unemployment. So it is It is getting – it's still tough out there. And that we still can't get our Congress to come together on an agreement. I think Mitch McConnell finally went to the White House today to talk about this. He's been out of the negotiations. We have the head of the House, uh, Nancy Pelosi. We have the leader of the Senate Democrats, um, Chuck Schumer, in on these talks. You have Kevin McCarthy or, or the, the – uh, chief of staff, and you have um, Steve Mnuchin, the treasury guy, on these talks, but McConnell was nowhere to be seen. Today was his first day even being around these talks whatsoever. And he is kind of, he just wants to get it over with because he has a lot of senators going back to try to get reelected. And he said he is open for the $600, but his party is not. He has a split party. He said this morning that, I said, the Democrats are close. Most of the Republicans are close, but we do have some Republicans that are not. So it's the first time you kind of talked about his own party as being the problem for not passing this law. But I thought was very interesting. Did you know that they're supposed to go on recess for a month after tomorrow? So uh, I just, if I just scan the headlines, CNET, Congress could agree on the stimulus package deal on Friday. What happens next? But then the New York Times follows that up with, without a coronavirus relief bill, Congress shouldn't go on recess. How outraged would your American public be? You know, you talk about 20 straight weeks of the unemployment claims being that high. How outraged would they be if they go on recess and they go back to their districts without a deal and come back a month from now and start renegotiating on this? I think they need to unpack their bags and figure this thing out. Otherwise, there will be a political price to pay. They will be punished, (laughs) whether that be primaries, whether their phones get blown up, whatever the consequences, they will not go unscathed if they walk out and get on planes on Friday and don't return for a month. Wouldn't you agree? No, I agree a hundred percent. No, I think you're right. It's, um, it's just shameful that they go on these. I remember back when, uh, a guy from Wisconsin was in charge of the house. God, I can't remember his name anymore out of sight, out of mind, but, uh, the, the head of the house before Nancy Pelosi took it back over they had only scheduled 72 working days for the entire year in the House of Representatives. Um, and it, it's still happening. Like I said, they, had, they took a three-day weekend last weekend, the, the Senate Republicans. The House is – Pelosi keeps them there. You cannot leave. It is, a, it is unconscionable that you would go home or take a three-day weekend – and not bring something back to your constituents. That's just absolutely ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. And Nancy has spoken openly in the press conferences about the number of dead, how Republicans have dead Americans on their hands. Um, Scott, there is some, I don't know if this is breaking news, but something is just literally coming across my email from Politico regarding Biden. It says, hold the balloons. 
The Biden campaign made official what had been apparent for a while that the candidate's Milwaukee convention was dead. So it says Joe Biden will now accept the Democratic presidential nomination in a speech broadcast from Delaware. Um, okay, so I, I'm not as familiar with this, but something has apparently collapsed with his Milwaukee convention. Do you have any insight or any information as far as what went wrong in Milwaukee and how now this is now going to be a tele-speech in Delaware? I don't know the specifics. It was announced yesterday he was not going to do his speech in Delaware. And Michael, the other co-host, Michael Vega, our other co-host on the show, and I talked about this yesterday a little bit at length. I think it's a mistake. I haven't heard any reasons for it other than COVID. They didn't want to get crowds there. My take on it yesterday, and it's still the same today, was that – I think he should still go, even if he was in a park 50 feet away from everybody else outside, I think he should have done this at Wisconsin. Um, They picked Wisconsin for a reason to have the national convention there because it's one of the states that uh, was ignored in 2016 along with Pennsylvania and Michigan. So Wisconsin was picked to do the Democratic National Convention because, as we know, last year – Trump won with 76,000 votes from three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. He did not win by electorally. He won by a lot because of those three states. There was only 76,000 votes total for all three states. And it's because widely thought of that Hillary Clinton did not, they just assumed those were states on her side and did not campaign there. So Biden was going, they picked Wisconsin as the state to have the national convention at. And I think he owes it to them to go there, even if he has to do the virtual one from Wisconsin. That's my personal thought. You're, you're trying to give them an olive branch for what happened four years ago. And I understand COVID, you may not need to be able to do a, a event like you want to do. But you need to do something from Wisconsin and honor your commitment there. That's my personal feelings on that. But I think it's honestly to do well, with COVID. I don't know if there's anything you say you say that something blew up. I don't necessarily know that. That might be true. It could be a story I've not heard yet. But I think it was out of COVID concerns is why you canceled it. Well, and in a stark split screen to that, listen to this headline. This is on CNN. Legal for Trump to give his convention speech from the White House. And I did actually see um, a mention of this come up uh, during his presser yesterday. By the way, folks, in case you're not paying attention, President Donald John Trump is back to doing daily briefings. And if you want to talk about an S show, you should tune in every day. That is a real S show because he is not surrounded by his coronavirus task force. It is the President of the United States giving speeches from a combination of reading off notes, riffing, and then the media um, hitting him with a few questions, of which he's actually taking questions. But listen to this. Um, In an interview with Fox News on Wednesday morning, the president said he will probably deliver his Republican National Convention acceptance speech live from the White House. He says, I love the building. I'm there right now. I spend a lot of time there. A lot of people didn't spend as much time. I spend a lot of time here, and I like it. He he sounds like he's on drugs, or it's just like stream of consciousness or anything. But the – during the presser yesterday, several members of the media were like, Mr. President, is that legal for you to give your convention speech in the way? Of course it's legal. What do you think, Scott? Have you dissected this at all? Is it legal or is it, is it even a good idea 
for him to do it from the setting of the Oval Office. He should be in a different place, really. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of uh, a lot of blowback on it politically. Um, whether it's illegal, what I think they were trying to say it was part of the Hatch Act, where you can't use um, certain things for political gain. This would that this would constitute political gain because he's not paying for it, right? The president has a White House and he's doing a campaign, so you have to keep your campaign stuff separately. Um, and he is saying that the Hatch Act doesn't apply to him because, as he said all along, nothing applies to him. president has no rules on them. That's what he's fought in, for, in courts for the entire three years now. He doesn't believe that any rules apply to the presidency. I just think it looks bad. Again, I think things, something as such as that of a nomination speech is so baked into the cake of who's going to be your supporters on that. It's not going to change the needle anyway. It's just going to look bad. Um, illegal, maybe. Might be against the Hatch Act. Doesn't really matter. Just politically, it looks bad. And uh, But he doesn't care. He, he will probably do it anyway. But I don't think it's going to make any difference. That's that's where I come from on it. Well, tell me about Kanye West. Uh, there, there's some dirtying of the waters here apparently going on. Republicans in four states are helping Kanye West gain ballot access. I have a few thoughts on that. But uh, did this land on your radar at all as being something we need to pay any attention to? It did. We talked about it a little bit yesterday because Ohio is one of the states that they're trying to help him get on the ballot on. Um, There's these four Republicans that have given to Trump's campaign in the past. So they have some loose ties to the Trump campaign that are helping Kanye get on the ballot. He is currently on one state ballot and he has applied for seven others that are pending right now, Ohio here being one of them, Wisconsin being one of them. So two swing states being two of the ones that these Republicans have helped them apply for. So it is on my radar. I just don't know where it's going to go yet. What are your thoughts on it? Well, uh, here's a piece out from Forbes today. Apparently Kanye West talked to Forbes, an exclusive interview. Uh, He's a billionaire. I mean, are you freaking kidding me? It says the billionaire rapper says he's working for the president as a GOP operative has helped to work and get him on the state ballots. So this is strategy. My understanding is that they're hoping that if they get Kanye West on the ballot in these four key battleground states, because he is African-American, their hope is that he will siphon off uh, some African-American votes, voters for Biden, maybe undecideds, just anything that hurts Biden. And literally Kanye West admits in this interview, here's the large print, like 25-point size. It says Kanye West indicates that his spoiler campaign is indeed designed to hurt Biden. So they're totally not even transparent about what they're doing here. They're literally throwing Kanye West in as an operative for the President of the United States, again, to try to dirty up Biden, because nothing else has worked. The, uh, you know, asking the President of that one country, which he was impeached, all these different tricks, nothing has worked on Biden. It's almost like he's tough, tough on Teflon. Nothing is sticking to Biden. So they're, they're getting that desperate because of Kanye West. Scott, their internal polls, <laughs> oh, their internal polls must really be telling them how much in trouble this president is. That's everything I'm hearing right now is they must literally be grasping at straws if the polls are looking this bad internally. 
Yeah, it is interesting though. I did read an article today though that that they think that he that he hasn't dropped in a while now. That he's leveling out in the polls. So there was um, Biden is still ahead in five, I think five of the main um, areas. So it's but it's like Trump has not dropped anything for it. So it's kind of interesting to see what happened. His uh, Biden's ahead in, let's see, let me look at it real quick, in Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. But he's only ahead by anywhere from three to eight points on those. So some, and one yes. is only one point, I think, ahead. But Trump has, um, has not deteriorating numbers anymore. His numbers were deteriorating greatly over the last three weeks. They have balanced out for the past week and a half. So he's still within striking distance. With margins of error, it's only a one- or two-point difference in a lot of these states. So I don't know if it's as bad as they're saying, but it is still bad for him. You're right. Good I for agree. you. you uh, everything I Googled right now completely supports what you just said. Uh, the first thing that pulls up, new poll suggests Trump's position has stabilized. You know what I think? I think it's inextricably linked, and we've talked about this before, with what the president and his administration do about the pandemic, about the coronavirus pandemic. And I think that their idea to get him back out there on television for the daily briefings and show what they're doing, you know, now they actually are using part of the National Defense Production Act to compel companies to produce masks and PPE and different gear. So I I think that the more that he goes out there and gets all of that airtime, Scott, do we even need to remind folks that during the 2016 camp, when all of the Sunday shows said, yeah, Donald, call into the show, you know, you get 25 minutes, the more airtime you get on cable news where you got millions and millions and millions of viewers, those are people that have some undecided. So if he gets a daily briefing, it's on all the TV networks, that's more FaceTime, not to mention the fact that he uses his tweets and his propaganda every day, but... I don't know. I don't particularly think he's doing anything better towards combating the virus. All the experts tell me differently, but he may have the perception that he's doing better. And that's really what it matters right. at the end of the day as far as polling is what's the perception. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think you hit it exactly nail on the head there. He is getting he is getting FaceTime with the American public. He's doing a couple of good sound bites during these things, even though a lot of them are just ridiculous stuff that have nothing to do with COVID, but he is putting enough COVID out there that I think he's getting some leveling off in the polls because of these, excuse me, I got a hiccup there, um, because of going out in front of the uh, national audience. So I think you're 100% right. I agree. Anything else chewing on your uh, on on your political radar today? We have today? five Anything minutes else? left. We have enough for like <laughs> one thing each here. So I will go with one that I have. I actually have like two or three left. I'll carry over till tomorrow. But uh, the one that I do want to talk about the most, because it was kind of breaking news today, it's going to be interesting to see if it has any kind of legs to sway election votes. But the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, today announced that she is attempting to dissolve the National Rifle Association. They have, she has filed suit in New York Supreme Court today, naming the NRA CEO and chief executive uh, Wayne LaPierre, general counsel and secretary John Frazier, former chief financial officer Wilson Phillips, 
former chief of staff and executive director of general operations, Josh Powell. And they are suing them for saying that the six, they've laundered through $63 million of donations to the NRA to these primarily five bigwigs in the National Rifle Association. So city of New York is suing them for it, which I think is very interesting because it has a lot of ramifications. One, um, NRA is very popular, right? And that's a club that the Republicans use very often to beat on Democrats. They're coming to take away your guns. See, they're taking away your guns. This liberal New York girl is going to try to take away your guns. So will it have some trickle-down effect on the election? It very very well might. So I'm kind of interested on it. Uh, But the interesting thing is there's also they were sued by a separate entity. The NRA and the NRA Foundation, a separate entity, were also sued today in a separate case by a Washington, D.C. attorney, Carl Racine. He alleges the foundation's board allowed the NRA to raid the foundation's reserves in order to address the NRA's cash flow problems and fund the lavish expense of the leadership. So kind of the same thing as what the attorney general said, but just being a little more specific, because we know that the NRA was having cash flow problems last year. And he's saying those cash flow problems were because the leadership were funneling money from the organization into buying this real lavish house and a bunch of other things. So I think this is a story that's just breaking today, and I'm interested to see how it's going to play out over the next week or so. That's my last story. What's yours? Well, uh, and I want to say that I, I'm a bit disappointed that that's what it ended up being because, uh, you know, Adam Sank, comedian out of New York, Adam Sank, he had posted on his Facebook earlier, <clears throat> pardon me, he says, could this be the criminal indictment of Donald Trump? And it literally was the headline, Attorney General James, to make major announcement today. So I actually got my hopes up that there was going to be this major announcement, mm. and it turned, ended up being about the NRA. But but here's one thing I want to finish with. Uh, apparently, the Justice Department has standards that within 90 days of a presidential election that they don't do anything, they don't announce investigations. They don't do anything that can have an impact on a major election. So if we are inside of that 90-day window, what did you say today? Are we at day 91 or 90? Where are we at today? 90. We're at 90 today. 90. Okay, so we're at 90 today. So if they were going to make their October surprise announcement, all at James Comey announcing the Hillary Clinton email investigation, today would have been the day. Otherwise, they're going to violate Justice Department established policy. So here's a thought. I know that from one of the things I saw is that uh, Attorney General William Barr is expected to wrap up his uh, Russia investigation soon. I think they're going to play dirty, Scott. I I, I know that there is this quote-unquote established Justice Department policy, and you don't dare do something within the 90 days. I don't think William Barr is going to follow those rules. I think that they're going to toe the line, and if they make any type of dirty announcement about investigations of uh, Obama people, something, etc., I think they'll do it inside the 90 days when our side can't legitimately. So it'll be unfair. It'll be it'll be like punching someone who's just standing docilely, you know, like Gandhi. So please keep your eye on William Barr and the Justice Department and what they may do to dirty up the waters and try to do a false flag because we already know that uh, nothing really happened there. That's kind of my closing statement. 
Well, it's a good one, and unfortunately, he's already telegraphed that that's exactly what he's going to do. When he was in the uh, hearing in front of the House Judiciary Committee last week, he was asked by a Democratic representative, "Would you um, bring this? Would you bring this report out in the last ninety days?" And he said, "Yes, I would." So he's already said he's going to do it. So it's just it's 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 going to happen no matter what. Uh, 90 day rule be damned He said it's my justice department He says the justice department directive And I'm the justice department So he's going to bring it out Unfortunately They're, they're going to play that dirty politics That you just said It mm. is going to happen my friend I am not looking forward to that <laughs> Right Well Brandon Carmody Thanks as always for hosting here every Tuesday, Thursday Brandon's going to be on the left of Straight Show With my other co-host Michael Vega Tomorrow night at 9.15 We're going to talk all about Starting up this show What our hopes and dreams are For the next 90 days uh, To not get this moron reelected But Brandon, let everyone know Where they can find you and On social media and your uh, radio network um, I am the CEO of GBC News Radio, so you can check us out, GBC News, on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, I have BrandonCarmody.com, and you can follow various links accordingly. And, yes, I'll be on the Left of Straight show at uh, 9.15 Eastern tomorrow night, and we will talk more politics and uh, what it takes to uh, survive this impending disastrous election. I predict a disaster. <laughs> Big time. There you go. All right, and with that, we are out, guys. Stay tuned for the Leftist Ray Show coming up immediately following this. We are going to put the song out by our buddy Hayden Joseph. We'll catch you tomorrow on the last day of the week, same time. We're at 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Please follow us on social media if you haven't already. We are Last 100 Days Pod. That's Last, the number 100 Days Pod, P-O-D, on Twitter and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and have a little follow, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.